You're tuned in to the Kojo Nam, the show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, we'll talk with Marty Barron, the outgoing executive editor of the Washington Post. But first, Baltimore is the largest city in Maryland, but it's the only jurisdiction in the state without control of its police department. For the last 160 years, the state has controlled the Baltimore Police Department. But as Maryland's legislature focuses on police reform for this session, two bills aim to return local control to the control of the department to Baltimore. But how did the city lose control of its police? And what would local control even look like? Joining me to discuss this now is Bryn Stoll, Maryland politics reporter for the Baltimore Sun. Bryn, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Before we get to that conversation, Bryn, you just tweeted about positive cases of COVID in the legislature. What's going on? So at the um, the Maryland General Assembly campus, they um, have been doing rapid testing um, at least a couple of times a week on the Senate side. And to open the floor session that started about an hour ago, Senate President Bill Ferguson announced that there were several positive rapid tests. Um, so they uh, did not say how many uh, members may have had a rapid test result that was positive, but they um, they've put several people into isolation and are trying to do um, have, have are conducting PCR tests now, the more more reliable um, coronavirus tests to try to see if if those are in fact infections, and then um, I guess they'll adjust from there. When you say adjust, is that likely to affect the way they do business? Yeah. So they. Um, are required to do under Maryland's constitution to, to do a lot of voting in person, but they have altered a lot of the other things that are going on around uh, this legislative session to try to adjust for the pandemic. Um, and presumably if several members um, were to, to be infected with coronavirus and, and potentially have exposed other members, that would disrupt all sorts of plans for um, in-person voting sessions um, as they went into to isolation and quarantine and, and responding to that. We'll have to see what happens. Let's talk about police reform. House Speaker Adrian Jones is proposing major police reform legislation. What would her bill do? Uh, A lot of things. Um, And and there's a number of the proposals that are in her bill, which also have um, similar uh, bills to do do similar things on the Senate side. Um, The big things are she would repeal the Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights in Maryland, which is a a, a 1974 law which gives a a number of job protections and lays out the disciplinary procedure um, for police officers uh, statewide in Maryland. She would create a a, a statewide standard for for when and how police officers can use um, force. And it would create criminal penalties uh, potentially for violating those policies. Um, She uh, would reform the state's um, public records law to give at least some limited access to uh, records from police disciplinary procedures um, and and, uh, a number of uh, other things. I mean, it's a pretty sweeping package requiring uh, most state uh, police agencies in the state of Maryland, um, police officers now wear body cameras, but not all. Um, so there's a number of smaller departments that haven't adopted those yet. That would become a mandate uh, sometime in uh, in the near future for those departments to get on board with body cameras. Well, she joined us last week on uh, the show we did in your virtual community and gave us a laundry list of some of those measures. But joining us now is Kaylin Young, the public policy director at the ACLU of Maryland. Kaylin, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. 
Kalen, the ACLU of Maryland, has said that it is, quoting here, regrettably cannot support this bill as written. What do you think is missing from the House Speaker's legislation? Uh, well, uh, the ACLU is part of a coalition called the Maryland Coalition for Justice and Police Accountability. Um, it's a coalition of over 90 groups across the state of Maryland calling on the legislature to support strong uh, police reform and accountability measures. Um, but there are five specific demands that we are really focusing much of our evaluation of legislation on. Um, and particularly, uh, those are a full repeal of the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights, uh, reforming the Maryland Public Information Act to allow for disclosure of all complaints of police misconduct, uh, establishing a statewide use of force policy uh, that will prevent officers from using force unless it's necessary and proportionate to the threat, um, removing uh, police officers from our children's schools, and of course, as we're talking about today, uh, returning control of the Baltimore Police Department to its residents. Uh, the Speaker's bill, uh, in our opinion, as currently written, uh, simply doesn't go far enough uh, on certain particular measures, in particular, uh, as we look at MPIA, and as we look at uh, the repeal of law enforcement officers' bill of rights and what they have written right now to replace it, uh, there it leaves a lot to be wanting. Uh, but we're having conversations now to see if we can strengthen that language and potentially even uh, uh, come on board. But uh, we've got a long way to go. MPIA being the Maryland Public Information Act, right? That's right. Brinstall, Republicans in the legislature aren't on board with this bill either. What are some of their concerns and objections? Well, um I guess the big one is that uh, they, they would argue, as do um, representatives for a lot of the police unions, that some of the proposals on the table would start treating police officers differently than other public employees. Um, for example, the personnel records, records of discipline and complaints against other public state employees um, aren't available uh, under the Public Records Act, uh, and, and, and they argue that it's unfair to release complaints against police officers, um, that that making it a crime to violate the um, use of force policy goes too far, um, and that the job protections uh, that are exist under the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights are, they would argue, uh, the police unions have very strongly argued that those are needed to protect them from a potentially uh, tyrannical chief, that these are, are good job protections for rank-and-file workers um, facing potential disciplines to guarantee their due process. Um, now, of course, uh, folks on the other side would argue that there's been a loss of public trust in, in police departments and that, that greater transparency because of the uh, authority that we put in police um, is, is, is warranted, uh, that, that, that police officers are sort of a special category of worker uh, for the state because of the power that they have, and so they deserve greater scrutiny. Um, do you believe that Speaker Jones has the votes to pass this reform package, Brent? Oh, yes. She's quite confident that she does. Um, and, and, and her backing, I think, will mean a lot. Um, the, the, I think that the two big questions uh, are, one, um, whether her and the Senate um, will strike a deal on passing the exact same legislation. I think it sounds like there's votes in both chambers to, to pass something. Now, whether everyone can get on board with uh, the same bill is, is, is a question we don't quite have an answer to yet. And the other big one is, is where will Governor Larry Hogan fall on all of this? Um, I have uh, asked his staff, but I haven't heard anything him address these issues directly. And of course, if he pulls out a veto, um, which it's that's speculative at this point, but if he does, then they'll have to muster the votes to override that, and that's a that's a kind of a wider margin that you have to hit. Kaylin Young, why doesn't Baltimore have control over its police department? 
Well, back in the Civil War, um, uh, the law was changed such that uh, during the Civil War, the city was controlled by a political party that was filled with Southern sympathizers. Uh, and as you know, Maryland, although it is a Southern state, uh, stayed with the Union. Um, Baltimore was placed under martial law as a result of uh, some of the actions of that party, including uh, rioting against Union troops that were trans uh, transported from the north through Baltimore to the south. Uh, and so uh, as a consequence of that, federal government took control, and, and then they ended up giving uh, local control, uh, or rather control of the police force, to the state um, after the Civil War. Um, to this day, even as a relic of, uh, of that movement, uh, the cannons on Federal Hill face the city as opposed to the state because of that, I mean, excuse me, as, a, as opposed to facing the sea as a consequence of that martial law uh, to this day. And so as a result of, of, of civil war politics, uh, local, excuse me, the control has been on the state level. Um, it hasn't changed. A few changes have occurred, specifically changing uh, how many commissioners there were. There used to be three. It went down to one, all appointed and uh, hired and fired by the governor. Uh, back in 66, it became one commissioner. And in 2009, that commissioner came under the authority of the mayor of Baltimore. Uh, but local control now, this bill is specifically about allowing for the city council to be able to have uh, authority to pass ordinance as it pertains to the police department, which is a power that is currently still retained with the General Assembly. I noticed you didn't mention the name of the party that controlled Baltimore during the Civil War. Was there a particular reason for that? No, I just omitted it because uh, it's, it's called the Know Nothing Party. They're not yes. uh, in power anymore. Yes, that's true. Um, Kalen, Speaker Jones and other lawmakers want to return control of Baltimore's police department to the city. How do they propose this happens? Uh, well, under the current bill as written, um, it just changes a, a portion of the law, the public local law, uh, to change Baltimore's police department from an agency and instrumentality of the state to an agency and instrumentality of the city. Um, but what's going to end up happening, though, I think, is that that's going to actually be amended out. So the Speaker Jones's bill actually won't be carrying the local control change moving forward. Uh, and that's a deal uh, that was struck uh, with the mayor of Baltimore, Brandon Scott, who has coordinated everybody behind Senate Bill uh, 786 and House Bill 1027. The Senate bill carried by Senator McRae, the House bill carried by Delegate Wells. Um, and, and that approach, uh, what we're going to do is have an advisory board that's going to look at various uh, changes and, and implications as a result of the change to local control, uh, issue a report. And then what we'll end up having is a ballot measure before the voters of Baltimore in the 2022 election that would fully restore and finally restore local control. And one of the good things about doing it that way, one of the issues with local control is that we have, you know, out of city folk, people from across the state who pass laws and ordinances on the police department of the people of Baltimore. But doing it this way allows for self-determination of the residents of Baltimore uh, as, they, as we uh, residents are able to re-secure that control. And you say Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott is crucial to this process. Why? Well, it's something that he ran on. Um, and, you know, I think that it's, it's, he's been very clear that it's a high priority of his administration. Uh, and sure. additionally, you know, with the policing work group that uh, was led by Delegate Vanessa Atterbury uh, during the fall, uh, this was one of the main recommendations that came out of that. So there was a, a significant alignment uh, with regard to 
uh, his administration's priorities, the policing work group's priorities, and of course also the priorities of the Maryland Coalition for Justice and Police Accountability also seeking the same change. Yeah, it's my understanding that he's been talking about this since he was first elected to the Baltimore City Council back in 2011. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That's right. Okay, got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. I'm Kojo Nandi. Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. Welcome back. We're talking about a number of police reform measures before the Maryland General Assembly in one in particular that would return control of the Baltimore City Police Department to Baltimore. We're talking with Kaylin Young, Public Policy Director at the ACLU of Maryland, and Brent Stoll, a Maryland politics reporter for the Baltimore Sun. Brent Stoll, Delegate Melissa Wells, and Senator Corey McRae are co-sponsoring legislation to return city control to Baltimore by 2025. Why is their target date 2025? Um, well, the part of it, the question is, is how quickly you can get this in uh, a, a change the city charter um, in front of Baltimore City voters and get them uh, to approve it. Um, there's there's some there's some discussion of, of amending that and, and allowing for if you can get a report together um, that would say what what the change to the charter should look like uh, together in time to put that on the 2022 ballot that that, that maybe the change should take. Uh, effect by 2023, January 1st. Um, but if, if that's not possible, that's too quick of a timeline uh, to sort out all those issues, then the 2024 election would be, uh, in their view, the most logical uh, time to, to take that to the voters. Kaylin Young, the ACLU of Maryland, is looking at that 2023 date that Bryn Stoll mentioned. Why 2023? Well, because when we look at... Um the changes that are occurring in Baltimore City, uh, in particular, some of the uh, charter amendments that recently went into effect, um, we did. We wanted it to be, you know, right away, uh, but we are being cognizant of some of those other changes that are coming into effect, allowing that to occur, allowing to a council to adjust, but then in the following year, building on that momentum, uh, and uh, which is empowering the city council to have more uh, authority to do things that it needs to do to run, help run the city. We're going to build on that with local control in the very next year. Um, it's our view that that report um, that Mr. Stoll just mentioned can be done uh, fairly quickly. Many of the things uh, that that report would have to speak on have already been uh, discussed, and uh, some of those issues are already actually ironed out in many ways. Uh, and then additionally, the, the frank truth of it, uh, a little bit inside baseball, is that uh, the 2025 deadline actually, excuse or, or transfer of control in the bill was actually a typo um, that occurred as a result of uh, the last, the, the, the timeline by which the bill was drafted and submitted uh, just didn't allow for uh, the amendment, or excuse me, the change to be corrected. And so this is actually the original intent of everyone involved, including uh, the mayor and uh, the coalition as well. 
Brinstall, without local control, how has Baltimore been running its police department? What challenges does state control create for the city? Yeah, so for quite a while now, it's sort of been in a um, a little bit of a hybrid, I guess, hybrid oversight. I suppose we do it to put it. The, the, it's not like the governor of Maryland is you know taking day to day authority over the department. The city has budget authority. Um, they set the budget for the department. They pay for the department. So the state is not handling the budget every year. And the um, the mayor is the one who hires and fires the police commissioner. Um, but they do not have, the council does not have authority to, to um, adjust policies or pass um, ordinances that would change the way that the department operates. So they have to, anything like that, like for example, several years ago, there's an attempt to pass an ordinance that would have required body cameras for Baltimore uh, city mm-hmm. police officers. Um, that had to, instead, uh, it could not be passed by the city council because they do not have that authority uh, under the current arrangement. Um, so so you have to do one of two things when, when you want to attempt to to change that at the local level, you either uh, sort of jawbone the commissioner and get the commissioner, uh, the mayor can call the commissioner and say, I'd like you to do this and, uh, you know, uh, and, and get the commissioner to, to handle that internally in the department. Or you can go to the state legislature, which meets once a year for 90 days, and try to get them to pass a, uh, a local bill um, that would affect the way the Baltimore City Police Department operates. Galen Young, among people who live in Baltimore, is there popular consensus about the prospect of city control of the police department? Kaelin Young, what are you hearing? Yeah, I think that it's uh, really uniform across the city uh, that people think this is a good idea and it's necessary. Indeed, as a consequence of being the only jurisdiction in the state and the only city of its size in the country that doesn't have local control of its own police department, uh, Baltimore understands and Baltimore residents understand um, how they're in a unique position. This is compounded uh, with the recent uh, history of our, not just recent history, but our long-going, rather, long-standing history of uh, misconduct in our uh, police department. And you know, this is a measure that will allow for you know, our city council to be able to you know, have teeth when it comes to holding the department accountable, implementing the changes of the consent decree, and moving our department from its checkered past uh, to a more promising future that can be a better service to the, to the residents. Brinstall, are there any legislators against this move? What are some of the arguments you're hearing against Baltimore city control of its police department? Yeah, I would say there's two really um, big concerns that have been raised and, and, and which also have derailed previous efforts in, in past years to, to do exactly this. Um, one of those is that um, the, because the Baltimore Police Department is a city, is a state agency, it has a sovereign immunity in federal court and so can't be sued directly. And there has been concerns raised that if uh, this, the department is returned to local control and loses that sovereign immunity, that the city might then end up being on the hook for uh, lawsuits in federal court uh, where there are not caps on damages, um, and that, that could end up hurting the city budget. The the city, current city solicitor, uh, Jim Shea, uh, argues that that is really a non-issue because there's sort of a workaround to that right now um, where officers can be sued individually in federal court. And then the agreement with the city is that the city will pay those judgments. Um, 
So it kind of that is a sort of a depends on who you ask question uh, over whether or not that would really have a major impact on the legal liability that would face the city. I would say that's probably the biggest concern. Um, there is also a concern raised by um, some people in the police department and some other uh, politicians in Maryland that uh, the city council might get, uh, I suppose, the way they would think of it as overactive in their meddling in the the affairs of the department that they would, mic- you know, for good or for ill, um, really manage the department and what some with advocates for this see as, you know, really democratic local control um, of the department could be also seen as, uh, you know, unnecessary meddling in the internal uh, operations of the police department. How do you feel about that argument, Kaylin Young? Well, as I look at the city council and the work that it's been doing, um, you know, my previous role before coming to the ACLU was actually working with uh, then council president Scott uh, in his office as legislative director. And part of that role was working with the city council's public safety committee to provide monthly uh, budgetary and uh, crime stat oversight meetings where we were able to ask the, the, the police department specific questions about, you know, not just how they were helping with the crime fight and trying to reduce crime in the city, but also what were they doing internally with regard to operations. In particular, I'm thinking about uh, conversations where there was a overtime fraud scandal happening in the, in the police department, and it was the city council that was asking the tough questions about why isn't there better policies? Why aren't we able to, you know, have certain approval processes? Why is it all still on paper and not digitized, etc.? The city council was asking those tough questions. Uh, it wasn't the state legislature. The difficulty, okay. though, is that the city council didn't have any power to do anything about it. Uh, and so it was public pressure with the mayor and the, and the commissioner that was able to bring about that change. Uh, but the city council is already providing the necessary oversight, not too much, but the appropriate oversight. Uh, and every and then again, every other jurisdiction already does this. So the argument that uh, they might be micromanaging, I mean, maybe the Baltimore Police Department needs a little micromanaging on a certain level, but at the end of the day, they're being undermanaged and, uh, with oversight as it, as it pertains to the General Assembly. Good news. We have a caller from Baltimore. Justin is in Baltimore, Maryland. Justin, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. Thank you, Mr. Nandi. Uh, usually <clears throat> I'm listening to WIPR right now, but I happen to be channel surfing. Uh, and it's a great topic, and I just wanted to share that I had no idea that the separation of the city and the, its power over its police went back to the Civil War. Uh, you know, the justification for that, I think, is no longer uh, existent. It's a very liberal, progressive city, so I think if that's the justification for keeping control away, then it, it should go back to the people. Uh, I would be in favor of that. I think all my neighbors would be. And I think it would also give uh, the politicians like Brandon Scott, who's doing a great job, a little more uh, political will to uh, take a tough stance on, on tough police issues. Thank you for taking my call. Justin, thank you for calling. By being the only caller from Maryland, Justin took the advantage of speaking on behalf of his neighbors. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. I'm afraid we're just about out of time. Uh, Kaylin Young, thank you for joining us. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. Brent Stowe, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you so much. Short break. When we come back, we'll talk with Marty Barron, the outgoing executive editor of The Washington Post. I'm Kojo Namdi. Thanks for listening to The Kojo Namdi Show, and if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.